Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about Angels with Dirty Faces. Another Michael Curtiz film. We've done Casablanca and The Adventures of Robin Hood recently. Uh, this is Black and White. It's from 1938. And it's a, a Jimmy Cagney gangster flick. Yes. One of the most famous. Jimmy Cagney at his height. He's had so many heights. But yes, I think this was his first Oscar nomination. Right. Um, um, unquestionably the star because actually it's interesting because um, Humphrey Bogart's in this as well yes. and you can tell that he's not a star yet the way that he's shot the way that he looks and, and, and the character he plays as well he's a supporting character yeah. you can but you know um, it's, there's only one star in this yeah. and that's James Cagney yeah Bogart the two-timing villain basically. that's right yeah um, but I'm very curious to know what you think of Cagney because he's my favourite 1930s actor you can definitely see why he's you can see why everyone did impressions of him, yes. where they came from. He's all kind of like the hands out in front of him and the shoulders and, and a little smirk here and there. He's all these little gestures and movements yes. that are very easy to uh, kind of ape and, and, and mock if you want, but like they're signatures, you know. Um, but they're in service of something. Yeah. They, they, they have a style to them and a personality. And it's, it, it's to, in some, to some degree, it's, it's rather like what we were saying the other day about... Errol Flynn um, in Robin Hood, which is that there's a joyfulness to everything that he does. Yes. That's communicated through his actions and through yes. his, the look on his face. Yes. I'm very fascinated by that because, you know, like his performances, I think, or his, and certainly his performance here, you know, on the one hand, he is performing Rocky Sullivan, this, this gangster who's, you know, grown up in... Uh, uh, the slums and, uh, you know, who's kind of partly a product of the system. Uh, and on the other hand, he is an actor performing for an audience. So, you know, that like all the gestures that he does, on the one hand, you know, they're meant to please, right? He's got an audience in mind when he does those things, mm. right? You know, and on the other hand, they're in keeping with the character. And, you know, this idea of, you know, performing... So as to please an audience is something that I think also changes over time. So, you know, in the 1950s, you get the studio system and the Stanislavski method. And it's all about, you know, some idealized truth that is meant to come deep out of your psyche and experience. Right. You know, and the audience kind of gets put aside. I mean, the, you know, the audience is simply meant to admire the end result, which is like a heightened realism of a role. Mm. Whereas in this one, the two things are, or with Cagney, at least. The two things are not separate, and I'm fascinated by that. I think it's something that the film makes a commentary on itself, yeah. quite deliberately. The film, uh, uh, and I think it's through particularly the, the cast of kids. What are they called? The, They're the, called the Dead End Kids. The Dead End Kids, right? So um, so uh, Cagney's character, as you say, kind of grows up in, in slums or in, in a sort of uh, poor neighbourhood in New York, is it? Yeah. Um, and... Uh, Goes to prison for a while, comes out, goes to prison again. Uh, when he comes out, he's you know sort of fifteen, twenty years old, or he's James Cagney now, yeah. and um, and his name has kind of a legend associated with it. People have heard of Rocky Sullivan. Mm. Um, uh, a group of kids pickpocket him. He chases them down. They're hanging out in his his former hideout when he was a kid, and this this group of eight or nine kids becomes like a like a well, like a standing for the audience, like they are in awe of him, right? Uh, he is, 
he's Rocky Sullivan. We've heard of him. Oh my God, that's actually you. And they they adore him and they kind of want to be him. And um, you get to the end of the film where Rocky is uh, executed. He and walks the last mile to the electric chair. Uh, and um, his, his friend, the priest, um, has been pleading with him, saying, I want you to... I want you to put on an act, is what he says. I want you to break down and start crying and, and and being a coward on your way to the chair because I don't want these kids feeling you you you'll become a martyr to them. Yeah. Effectively, is what he's saying. If you're you know if you're Rocky the gangster who whatever, um, and he goes no, I'm not going to do that. But then he actually does, mm. he, and like he's not putting it on. Mm. He's actually breaking down and begging for his life mm. and pleading for mercy on his way to the chair. And the final, the very final scene of the film is the kids uh, reading the paper that says he he died yellow, uh, and they ask the priest, you know, is it true? And he says, yes, it's true. And you you can tell yes. this is a Hays Code ending sort of thing. Yes. You know, like it's it it moralizes quite heavily. Um, yes. But I think I, I think the film, with the with the characters with the characters of the kids, is talking about sort of glorification of violence and gangsters and kind of hero worship. Yes. In, in quite an interesting way, in quite a subversive way, in a way, um, sort of deconstructing the role that Jimmy Cagney is supposed to play. What you what you're supposed to like about him. Mm. You know. Well, that's an interesting way of putting it. So you think that. Uh, uh, Rocky Sullivan is the same kind of a similar kind of star figure with all the hero worship involved and so on that James Cagney the actor is to the audience kind of that's a very interesting thing see what I mean and then um, I mean it's a film that I always come back to but I'll mention it again The Wolf of Wall Street yes the Scorsese film there's a there's a a similar critique of the audience and their mm. expectations and their desires mm. you know it's also having a cake and eating it kind of thing because throughout the entire film you're getting the pleasures of watching James Cagney be yes. charming and be kind of dirty and cheeky and anti-authority and then at the end you get to kind of you get the moralize moralize that yeah. you know well actually he he was a bad guy who got his come up and sort of mm. thing, and you're not supposed to think of him as a hero, but you are. Yeah. So the film is having its cake and eating it in a way. And like I said, the reason I will always come back to The Wolf of Wall Street is because it's the one film I think really doesn't yeah. and like follows through on its promise to attack the audience. <laughs> I think it's worth stating that though uh, James Cagney and Pat O'Brien are top billed, you know, this is an all-star cast in the sense that Anne Sheridan, who plays, you know, the the could have been girlfriend from the old neighborhood, mm. you know, was also a star by this period. Uh, and George Bancroft had been a big star uh, in the silent films in the early 30s. And of course, the dead end kids, you know, the reason why they're called the dead end kids is because they'd been in a hit play on Broadway, right? And they'd already made a film for Goldwyn with Bogart, uh, I think maybe called Dead End. So, you know, they would have been like, I don't know, the equivalent of teen stars or something. They would have been recognizable by the audience. Each of those kids. Mm. You well, know. yeah, I mean, their name is up on like, the, it's, it's a big name at the start. Yeah. The dead end kids, you have to know who they are. Yeah, so they, they you know, they were kind of an attraction, right? Uh, so, um, which, which is something that's kind of, I suppose, lost to us, but that you could see the film setting it up, yeah? Mm. 
Um, but what did you think of the film overall? I mean, you know, this is a now our third Curtiz film. How would you rate it? Um, I, I, I might rate it above The Adventures of Robin Hood. Um, just because I think the characters are more interesting and I had, I had better time. So I, I, and, and maybe the setting. I mean, I didn't dislike The Adventures of Robin Hood, but I think, I think Robin Hood, the, the pleasures of it are more... Um, sort of contextual. What's interesting about Robin Hood to me is the context of the time and the differences between sort of the way you would imagine such a film being made now mm. to then. It's very much of its time. Which is not to say that this one isn't. I mean, this is clearly of its time. They don't make films th this way anymore. Yes. But um, in, just in terms of a, an ease of sort of getting into it and attaching myself to the characters and that sort of thing, I found this one kind of much easier to to get along with in that oh, respect. Okay. Um, yes, I I I don't. I think this is to me this is more dated. Whereas you know I think I think to me Robin Hood is an an all around great film. I could still watch it with all the pleasures. It's like a kind of an innocent and film, you know. And in a way, it's for a family audience, right? So kind of, you know. Uh, but I still I love the look. I love the score. I love Flynn. I love the kind of boys' own story element of the action and the romance, and I think to me that holds up very well. Whereas you know this, much as I love it, you know, um, it doesn't quite grab me in the same way. Though at the end I was moved actually, mm. surprisingly, you know, like uh, uh, there was that close-up of Pat O'Brien, yeah. and I got a little moist. <laughs> yeah, the relationship between those two is interesting. It's, I mean, it's it's playing on a Again, this is kind of playing on a moralistic level. I mean, the film is called Angels with Dirty Faces, so the idea that, like, a kind of goodness underneath yes. sort of thing. I think, I mean, it seems to me that's really referring to the kids. Um, I think it's referring to the kids, but also to, um, to the Pat O'Brien and James Cagney characters, because I think what the film doesn't bring out enough at the end, but we see it at the beginning, is that actually James Cagney took the rap, hmm. right, you know, for what was also the priest's crime. And not only that, he wouldn't have been caught if he hadn't stopped to get him out of the, mm. the train, the running train that was, you know. So, so you know, uh, um, the, film, the film is basically arguing in a way, you know, that uh, conditions are bad, but really all kids are good if you give them, you know, a chance and show them the right path. Yeah, there's an interesting um, thing that it's doing where, so the two of them... Uh, was stealing pens, pens. off this uh, train uh, when they were in their teen years, and um, and they they get spotted. The police chase them down. Jerry gets away, and uh, Rocky doesn't. Um, and then you kind of years down the line, you see that Jerry has become a priest. Um, and so you, you get the feeling that like the film is setting up this thing of like well the good guy the bad guy in a way, mm. but it's not. It's it's. You know these guys have a relationship, and when they meet again years down the line, um, they embrace and they hug and they 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 almost sort of talk about old times sort of thing. Mm. Like th there's no kind of animosity. And, and can I elaborate a bit on that? Because yeah. I, I think what you know what you're saying is so interesting because this is a world, and I I would imagine analogous to you know some black neighborhoods in the U.S. at the moment, where actually having done jail time is no measure of your goodness or your value as a person. 
mm. yeah, that it's expected, you know, that kind of people from this neighborhood or a lot of people from this neighborhood will have done jail time for reason for many reasons that actually are not really a measure whether they're a good person or a bad person. And yeah, I well, found that interesting. I, I said to you, um, you know, what they've done is nick some pens off a train yeah. and then try and run from the cops, which is not the worst crime in the world, and they are kids. Yes. Um, and you see three separate sort of... St- well, I, 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 I'm not sure if the crimes are separate or if they're all from stem from that particular crime where uh, where Rocky gets... He gets two years for petty larceny and he gets three years for something else. He gets four and a half years for something else. And uh, I'm... That all, that all happens in the same montage. So I'm not sure if that's saying he came out, then went back in, then came out, then went back in for different crimes. I think what, the, what it's saying is that once you're put into the system as a criminal, mm. you're doomed. You end up a criminal. It is, but I'm just saying, I'm not sure if it was saying that he got a, an incredibly excessive sentence for this one crime or if it was a number of crimes that no he i got the, i got the feeling that, it's, that well the montage is all about yeah. you know him having been caught for the pens and you know sets him on the path to crime yeah i think that is ultimately what it's saying uh, um and, and it, yeah and it's not it and it's a long time before he sees uh, jerry again and they reconnect and there are some so there are some interesting lines a couple of lines from jerry where he has he he has the holy sort of perspective on things now mm. in a way uh, where he says there but for the grace of god go i mm. and he talks about um this is right towards the end of the film which i found quite a moving line where he says um something something like let's pray for a man let's play for a boy who couldn't run as fast as me or something yeah. like that yes. you know which basically says it's a bit of luck basically yeah, exactly. to put him in this place and put me in this place yes which um is subtle and really moving. And actually, when I talk about the ending being kind of moralistic uh, and moralising a bit too heavily, it does a bit, but not there. That's actually quite subtle. Mm. And, um, you know, the, the moralising is about saying, you know, you, you've, you've enjoyed watching him be a gangster and now he's got his comeuppance, uh, which is a bit cheeky, a bit cheap. But, um, but, but the, the aspect, the relationship between those two and, and the subtleties in it are, are moving. Mm. And, and quite thoughtful. What did you think? There are two things that I want to ask you about. Um, one is the direction in general, and then the direction of the action in particular. In terms of direction, I guess it comes down to performance. Like, like Cagney's performance is privileged above everything. And there are some great sort of bits of business with like like i said to you almost like three stooges type mm. stuff with slapping up and down here and there yes um and a, and uh, you know the basketball game for instance and i said to you at the time like this is not the most exciting basketball game i've ever mm. seen it drags a bit and it's it's a bit all over the place but the business that happens once cagney takes over refereeing yes and starts just slapping players and tripping them up yes. you know is is enormously good fun and i think everything about the direction kind of privileges his performance and his ability to to interact with people, interact with scenes. Mm. Um, what was the other thing you asked? Oh, the action in particular. The action in particular, yeah. I like, I'll tell you what I did like, uh, what I thought, what, what I noticed was um, in the scene where Rocky is holed up in the building and he's getting surrounded by the cops and you know mm. that this is it for him. How dishevelled his look is. Mm. Like he's no, I mean, he's, he's, he's no longer pretty, you know? And he's no longer charming, really, either. Mm. He's he's stressed, mm. and his hair's all over the place, and he's dripping with sweat. 
and um, and sort of surrounded by smoke as well because they've they've sent they've thrown in tear gas. So you get this sense of like 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 hell, like an inferno in this mm. building that's kind of enveloping him, engulfing him, which I thought was great. I thought that was I thought that was great, and actually I think there are, there are, there are scenes in the film that to me are just fantastic. The opening shot, right? I mean. When has an opening shot evoked a whole way of life, you know, as clearly as this one? It's like, you know... Oh, the, the sweep across the... the sw- yeah, the camera kind of cranes down, you know, across this neighborhood and really lets you see it, right? Like, you know, so, I, I mean, there's, there's the name of the street, there's women putting out the washing, you know, from the tenements... You know, then kind of it pans down. You see all the shops, the the carts with the fruit, the people milling, you know, and kind of... And then it takes you to uh, Rocky and... Uh, Jerry. And Jerry as young men. And actually, one of, the, one of the ways in which, you know, James Cagney is so imitable, though at the same time so unique, is that, of course the kid playing James Cagney as a young man is doing James Cagney, yeah, right? Like, exactly. And he does it beautifully, right? You know instantly that it's meant to be James Cagney as a young man. Yeah. But I thought that shot, what, you know, it just evokes a world, a way of life, you know, a fictional world that's like a world where this action can happen, you know, a world that is also recognizable, like what audiences must have imagined New York to have been at the turn of the century. Right. And then actually that shot gets um, rhymed so that, you know, when Rocky comes back to the old neighborhood, you get a similar shot. Right. But then like 10 years later or eight years later, whatever it's meant to be, you know, and so actually you, be, you see that there's more cars in the neighborhood and rather than carts. Right. And so on. Yeah. But it kind of I thought, I mean, to me, that's just amazing. And, and actually you think it must have cost a fortune. Right? Yeah, like yeah. you know, because there's like 500 extras in it or whatever. Like it's it's just an, it's just amazing. It's a real showing off first shot. It reminded me of um, "Do the Right Thing." Ah, right. Yes. Um, interestingly, which I, I mean, I don't remember if that had a, a, a similar shot. I don't think it did. Mm. Um, but the the immediate sense you get of the of the busyness of this neighborhood and the kind of variety of people within it. Yes. And that sort of thing, and also the idea that like, there's so much activity that like things could things could happen. You don't yes. know quite what. Um, I I I I think Curtis is amazing with the camera. There was also the shootout at the end with Humphrey Bogart, where you know um, the shootout begins, you know, and then the camera focuses on Cagney through a mirror. So actually, what you're seeing is his face. You're not actually seeing him, hmm. you know, do the gun work. And I thought that was so brilliant. And then also at the very end when they're, um, you know, in prison and the electric chair scene is about to go, that's really when you get, you know, all the shots with the shadows, right? So, yes. you know, which, which actually... your shadows. Yeah. Well, you know, once you notice, you notice. Mm. And actually the thing is that he uses them very sparingly here, mm. right? So actually that doesn't come into play until the prison scenes. And then you get kind of all of these actions, you know, the cop reflected through the prison bar as you see Cagney lounging in his cell bed, right? Um, you know, the, the, the electric chair overhanging the audience as, as yeah. Cagney goes through the last mile. And then, of course, you know, you actually, uh, his struggle or his being afraid, you're, you're only shown it in shadow, mm. right? You know, or inserts of hands, 
right? Um, which, which I, I mean, I thought that was incredibly clever, while well, also being dramatic and adding to the mood and everything, but also incredibly clever because, you know, kind of by, by focusing it on the shadows and by not showing us Cagney's face, you know, it inserts this moment of doubt, you know, is Rocky yellow <laughs> or is he performing for the priest mm. as the priest asked him? And actually, I think... It's, I, not, I, it's not completely clear, but my, my instinct is that he is genuinely begging for his life. Right. Well, instinct. you know, I, yeah, by not showing us mm. his face, yeah, it just you're creates seeing, that doubt. You're seeing it, but not seeing it. Yeah. And it happens off screen. Uh, so you, you're, you're seeing an impression what's yes. happening in your imagination kind of kind of is allowed to fill in things and it's quite evocative yes. um i think it's great there's no, there is a shot a slight earlier slightly earlier than the prison scenes when when he gets the drop on jerry and he leads him, he has a gun in his back and leads yeah. him out of the building that that transitions into huge shadows on the right. wall um, which you get that but that's when the film is is that that's when you really have you, you if you know these kind of stories and you're going like, this is it now, you know, yeah, the guy yeah. is doomed sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's when that's all really kicking in, like the end of the end of his story. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, um, and the action, did it work for you? Um, you mentioned largely, something about how the, the guns are... Yeah, the gun, the gun work is, it's very, very 30s. It's very cinematic, but you point out particularly, it's very 30s, which is that when, it, I mean, the, 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 the sound effect is that, like, really classic, you know, sort of 30s sound. And, um, and the, the way that Cagney shoots, I don't know if I particularly noticed it with anyone else shooting, but, but definitely Cagney, is as, a, as he takes a shot with his pistol, he punches... You know, so he thrusts the gun forward as he takes the shot, and I said to you, like, that's no way to shoot. You'll miss every time. <laughs> but but and but it's it's um, it it's, there's an energetic thing to it. Like, I don't I don't know how to put it really. It's just it's a, it's such a style thing. Yes. You know, you know that it's it's like a cops and robbers. It's like the it's like the way kids play with guns yes. when you when you're a kid and you have little toy guns. Pew, pew, yes. You know, like cowboys and Indians. Right. I think that's so interesting. I was reading this um, this piece by Robert Warshaw, which is like, you know, the gangster's tragic hero, you know, and kind of he was saying that, you know, kind of the gangster, even more than the Westerner or anything like that, is kind of, you know, an American figure where American concerns are played out, really, because the gangster's a tragic hero because he's got to die, right? But on the other hand, you know, he's tragic because the impulse in America is that you've got to stand out from the crowd. You've mm -hmm. got to be successful, right? But for the gangster, in order to stand out for the crowd and to be successful means you have to die, right? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. So kind of, you know, uh, uh, you're doomed. Um, and and I, I thought it was so interesting because this film in particular, both it does that, you know, and actually I think it underlines the tragic element of it because you do see all these societal forces. You do get the sense throughout, you know. Uh, I mean, there's a line where he says, oh, my heart was ripped out a long time ago. I have no heart. But actually, you can tell that that isn't true, mm. really, you know. So um, it is kind of, you know, in many ways about how capitalism plays out in America, you know. And it is all about money and violence and the films show a very corrupt world. So, you know, kind of the gangsters get punished, but all the politicians are just as corrupt. The newspapers don't dare do anything about them. I mean, it's a very corrupt world mm. that these films show us, really. You know, uh, and of course, the gangster's the hero in this world, 
right? Um, so I kind of, it's, uh, um, it's a, I think it's a very interesting genre and, you know, the concerns that it kind of works out are kind of of continued interest. And of course, this film in a certain way is like a template for, you know, so many of the gangster films that follow, right? Mm. Like this idea of coming from the wrong side of the tracks of, you know, the priest and the, I mean, the priest and the gangster kind of is now almost a cliche. It kind of, it takes on different forms, mm, yeah. you know, in different films. But, you know, this kind of set the template for all of them. And it's kind of nice to see a film, you know, even though kind of, I don't think it, to me personally, it doesn't hold up as well as Casablanca or Robin Hood. It's still fascinating to see how potent everything that it does you know, remains, you know, and how the film has been used as a template in so many other films that I can't even remember now, but, you know, you see these things kind of played out in gangster film after gangster film after gangster film. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about this film, I don't know if it, I don't know how well it applies more widely to gangster films and to, to noir, but um, in this film in particular, like, the, the, the difference between right and wrong is never really in question. The difference between good and bad is yeah. very black and white. But, but your, like where where your allegiance lies, is in question. Yes. You know, and like, and just so you kind of, you, I mean, you go there, you go to the cinema to see this film because you you want to partake of the pleasures of yes. gangsters. Yes. And um, so you know, you're very aware that uh, that these are bad guys, and and whatever they're up to, you shouldn't get up to yourself. Yes. But uh, but. But there's also but that where thing. You're... Sorry, um, there's also the thing that it could so easily be you, you know. Um, yeah. Up to a point, I don't think there's. I think like you could be the kids. I think there's a, there's a suggestion of like mm. these kind of they come from anywhere, and there is that idea that we mentioned of there. But for the grace of God, go I. You know, I I got away from the cops and he didn't, and it was just that bit of luck that sent us on our different ways. But there is also a sense of like you can't be Jimmy Cagney. You know, only Jimmy Cagney can be Jimmy Cagney. True. Um, no, there's there's all of that, and actually, I think, you know, um, there's I think it's very interesting though, because you know, most of us have never met a gangster in our lives. I mean, you know, most of us have never even been in a crime scene or anything connected with crime, and yet, you know, almost all of the conventions of the American gangster film are kind of known to almost everybody. I would say, mm. you know, so kind of, it's interesting to me why they continue, why they remain so potent. And this film in particular, I mean, you can see why it had the impact. It's so well made. It's incredibly well made. Mm. Uh, and it's made with style and dash, and it looks beautiful, you know. And actually, some of the shots are beautiful. You know, the lighting, you know, throughout yeah. is kind of, uh, it's excellent. It's really kind of, It's know, high melodrama. Yeah. Really. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. When, certainly when you get to the end and he's and he's screaming for his life, and as you say, it all goes into shadow, yeah. and and um, you know, and, and the, the, there's no way out, there's no escape, as there kind of never is in these things. Um, like I think that's a real staple of noir. You know, you end up, you're in a dead end. There's absolutely no escape, and and it's all gonna end for you. Um, that is, that, that is kind of the height of, of melodrama of this era in yes. a way. You know, it's not romantic, but <laughs> in fact, in the, tra in the trade press, they were advertised as melodramas. I mean, yeah. it's it's only later that somehow melodrama became associated with women. Mm. I mean, um, you know, gangster films were you know a Meller with Cagney or whatever. 
Um, and, and, and I think it leads into saying so. This is the last point I want to make. Which, sure. Which I think you you might be getting onto as well, um, which is. Uh, one thing that I like to think about when I'm watching older movies is how would you cast them these days? Uh-huh. So with Casablanca, uh, we were talking about, um, I think we suggested sort of John Hamm, perhaps. Uh-huh. Um, Oops. Another cake is ready? Another cake is ready, but it can wait five minutes, so just let's continue. Um, yeah, so, uh, so I suggested maybe John Hamm would be uh, good as Rick uh, in Casablanca, and um, I, I suggested um, Diane Kruger. Mm. For uh, Ilsa, um, and it's and it's good fun to think of that. But like, I think they they fit quite well. I can't think of anybody who could play Rocky. I can't think of anyone who really is a modern day James Cagney. Well, I think he's unique. I mean, I you know, I think he is my favorite of the nineteen thirties um, actors of my you know, and he of course he continues to have a career into the 60s and you know he did Ragtime with Milos Forman in the 80s um, and I like him I always love him actually but in the 1930s you know when he's young he's got this this energy right I just love watching him and actually some of the things you watch him do would be completely unacceptable now mm. you know the way he bashes those kids around like yeah. you know kind of social services would be on him in a second <laughs> right and also the gender things because you know he slaps women around kind of you know not in this film but in earlier 1930s a little bit he does films. he slaps a girl right at the start yeah she slaps him back that's but, right but uh, you're but, right but you know so kind of all of those things are um you know, maybe conventions of the period, but they're unacceptable now. So, to, you know, to watch him now mm-hmm. is not an undiluted pleasure. There are things that are troublesome and problematic. But still, you know, I, I, I love him, what he does, and also what he stands for. You know, because actually I think there is kind of an underlying kind of uh, democratic core about Cagney, you know. Mm. He's always standing up for the working man. He's always a man of the people. He's always like somebody, you know, from the lower classes and who's, who's not ashamed of it, you know, mm. and who demands justice and fairness. I mean, actually, a lot of the plot around this, of this particular film, even though it's not, it doesn't deploy those aspects of Cagney's persona very much, still has to do with the basic fairness of they made this deal and, you know, the Bogart character's watching on it and it's Condon, right? Like, sure. So I mean, it would be a stretch to say he's kind of socially conscious, though. I mean, I don't think he particularly cares about his fellow man. In, I mean, he's not a Robin Hood figure. He donated a hundred thousand dollars to the creation of the club for the kids. He didn't have to do that, you know. In another film, you know, he could have donated it to the Anne Sheridan character, to you know, to cushion mm. her in old age or whatever, mm. right? I mean, there there are. I mean, yeah. But I mean, I think the priest has a point when he is, goes on his crusade against the three of them for running the city. Sure. It's not like Jimmy the Gent yeah, where, yeah. you know, he's saying, <laughs> you know, the, the NRA, da 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 So it's not like what that. He, I mean, he wants, he wants fairness in his dealings. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, he, he wants it's fairness. Not, it's not about fairness for the society. Yeah, but fairness in his dealings, fairness in his world, and fairness in the world are hard to distinguish through this. I mean, so for example... You know, there are other uh, stars from whom that's not even an issue, you know. Mm. So, kind of, I think it's significant that, you know, even in this film in which it's not about that, you know, kind of, there's still a core of that. Yeah, a bit. A bit, okay. (laughs) 
Did you but like I, but it? I did, I, but I did think, um, but I guess uh, I was also just trying to think specifically, like, of examples of actors. Well, I think... Play, I and think I genuinely... I, I came up with... Um, uh, Jack Nicholson has the anti-authority aspect and the kind of look and, the, and a bit of charm, but he's not quick enough. No. Um, uh, I thought maybe Robert Downey Jr. is the only actor I could think of who actually is quick enough. But I don't think he's quite right. No, yeah. Vincent Cassel or Mel Gibson have aspects. No. But actually, like I can't. It, when I when I look at other films, and other actors, I can always think of an analog somewhere. Yes. They're, they're not perfect, but they're always an interesting. Well, of, I think there are. I some... can't think of anyone who can play Rocky. I think I think all of the grades, though they might be imitable, they're also irreplaceable. Like no one can do their stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I think Cagney's one of them. I think he's one of the all-time greats. And and. You know, his success or, you know, the, the film is 80 years old, right? And kind of, you know, and I'm still, like, amazed by him and love him and so on. Uh, and, and, and part of the reason is because, you know, nobody has replaced that. Nobody, you know, there's no one else like him. Mm. And unlike other actors, he doesn't have 10 masterpieces attached to his IMDb credits, right? He's actually kind of made very few films that would hold up without him, right? Like, mm. you know, kind of the reason to see all of these 1930s gangster films are because he's in it. Otherwise, some of them are really quite run-of-the-mill. This is one of his very best, mm. right? Uh, and it's very good, you know, but it's not one of the great masterpieces of the cinema, is it? No, no, you know? no. Uh, so, kind of, it I think... It's good, though. It's very good. Um, so, I think that's kind of all of those things are, you know, what makes Cagney great, really, that, you know, I, well, that people like me are still eager to see his films in spite of knowing that, you know, kind of they're not necessarily the great works of American classic cinema, for the most part. I mean, he's done some good ones, mm. you know, but, uh, but generally kind of, you know, uh, he's got a lot less fewer um, great films than, you know, like Catherine Hepburn or, or James Stewart has a ton, Henry Fonda has a ton, you know, uh, etc. I, I think this is something kind of very interesting. So it's almost like James Cagney is one of the greatest actors who only played like B movies. No, he didn't do B movies. They were A movies, or certainly later on they were A movies. You know, but he didn't work with the greatest directors. Right. Um, you know, they're not masterpieces. I mean, you know, some Hepburn films, whether you like Hepburn or you don't like Hepburn, you're seeing, you know, because it's a classic of screwball comedy, like Bring Up Baby or whatever. Mm. Cagney has very few films like that. I mean, you know, if you're seeing them, you're seeing them because of Cagney, mm. right? Um, you know, uh, um, um, Cary Grant has, or, or James Stewart has, you know, all-time classic westerns, all-time, you know, classic screwballs. Like, you know, there's a lot of reasons to see James Stewart films, whether you like James Stewart or not, right? Kind of... Uh, um, yeah, I know what you mean. Cagney doesn't have very many of those. You know? Cagney is the main draw, the, and, it's, and in most cases, the only draw yeah, for, exactly. for most of his films. And he's worth it. His, his yeah. films are worth seeking out for him. Part of the reason why he was so rebellious, mm. you know, he kind of, he walked out on Warner Brothers half a dozen times because he thought they weren't paying enough. I mean, he's somebody who knew his own worth. He tried setting up uh, his own production company, you know, in the early 30s. He made films on his own with his brother, but you know, because of the conditions of the studio system and whatever, they were very cheapo stuff, mm. you know, kind of released by, yeah, and then he came back to Warner Brothers, right? 
I mean, this is one of the films he did just after he'd you know, been in independent production with his own brother, yeah, and kind of things weren't working out. This is a project that he started, uh, Angels with Dirty Faces, and they came back to Warner Brothers to do it on a different contract, right? right. So I think part of the reason, and there are reasons why he didn't. Mm. You know, I'm sure um, kind of directors, you know, sought him out. They certainly did later. Uh, but also, you know, when you're that big a star, you know, and with the star and the genre connect, it was almost like guaranteed money in, a, in the bank. Like, you know, you, you put Cagney in a, in a gangster film and it would have to be really bad to lose money, right? Yeah. You know, so... so It's interesting though, isn't it? Because like, every, everyone else of, of this kind of era is associated with other people. Um, yeah, actors are associated with other actors and, and maybe directors who they worked with a lot. And Cagney isn't. He's associated with a genre. Yes. He's, he's associated with the gangster film. What are the films he's, he's most famous for? Well, Yankee Doodle Dandy. Well, have you seen Yankee Doodle Dandy? I mean, <laughs> you know, the American patriotism at the end. I mean, it's still a very effective film and it works. But, you know, it's not a great film, right? Like, I think this is really one of his finest. Yeah. White Heat uh, with Raoul Walsh. I mean, it's not that he doesn't have great films, but, you know, kind of they're, they're very small in comparison to other great stars of the era. Um, I like the it. cake is about to burn. So the last question is, did you like it and do you recommend? Yes, yes and yes. I think it's more interesting than Robin Hood for me. Okay. I think it lulls less as well. Okay, Although it does lull a bit. That's great about and useful. An hour <laughs> great and useful to know. Well, I'm just uh, saying. You know, <laughs> uh, if, you're if you're looking for an actual like like recommendation whether you should watch it or not. No, no, I am. Yeah. I know, I am. Enjoyable. Uh, so. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on iTunes, uh, YouTube, and SoundCloud to listen to. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, we're eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye bye. And we'll we're watching one more Rome um, Curtis. Yes, Mildred Pierce. We're watching Mildred Pierce, and then we get to watch some films that I want to watch. Yes. Let <laughs> me <laughs> check the cake.